Hello, hello. Chris here with another installment of the Make It podcast. And uh, before we get started and before we get to today's guest, I want to encourage everyone to go to our website at www.bonsai.film and click on the resources link. It is there that you will be able to join our creative community and be given access to an ever-growing slew of film-related resources and tools at your disposal at zero cost to your wallet. Again, go to www.bonsai.film to enjoy and leverage our ever-growing resource library, amongst many other things, like our online shop, for example, where you can pick up a make-it hat or hoodie or tee. So before we get to the guest, I have one other quick announcement to make. We want to welcome all of our new listeners from Canada, the United Kingdom, Australia, India, and many, many more places. Thank you so much for listening, and please do stick with us. Uh, we, we appreciate you hopping on the Bonsai Creative Caravan, and uh, I'll have you know that we are just getting started. So this is uh, going to be a fun ride for you. Okay, enough preamble. On to today's podcast guest. On this episode, we have a conversation with actress and singer Christine Woods. Christine is best known for her work on television, most recently the HBO series and television movie Hello Ladies, starring opposite Stephen Merchant. She was featured in this season's uh, this season of AMC's The Walking Dead, as well as NBC's About a Boy, co-starring David Walton and Minnie Driver. Previously, Christine recurred opposite Matthew Perry on NBC's Go On and was a regular on NBC's Perfect Couples and ABC's Flash Forward. Other television and credits include The Odd Couple, Bad Teacher, The Closer, House MD, NCIS, Cold Case, Necessary Roughness, Castle, In Plain Sight, and many, many more. This year, she's featured in Dimitri Martin's film directorial debut entitled Dean. And by the way, Dimitri Martin is one of my favorite comedians of all time. Anyhow, Dean also stars Mary Steen Bergen and Kevin Klein. Now, without further delay, I give you the only star I know whose pet dog is more popular on Instagram than they are. Actress Christine Woods. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. Hi, my name is Christine Woods. I'm an actress and a singer and a producer, and you may know me uh, mostly from a uh, comedy television HBO show called Hello Ladies, lots of um, indie features, uh, movies on Netflix, episodic television, sitcoms, you name it. Um, I'm actually currently 
I shot a bunch of indie films this year. And right now I am producing, co-producing with a friend of mine, a creator, Melissa Stevens. We're doing um, a series of like experimental comedy short films. And that's been really fun and kind of off my usual path. Yeah. yeah, That's what I'm working on. Awesome. 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 Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, you have so much to dig into. I mean, where do we even get started? I, I, oh, but, man. But I, I suppose, I suppose we just start saying thank you for joining. And, um, uh, I know this is going to be so valuable for everyone that, that listens, um, to this. Uh, I'm, I'll start with something uh, funny, which is mm-hmm. how did you get your nickname? Chrissy. <laughs> and, who, and who gave well, it to you? Well, it's, it's funny because my, uh, family calls me Chrissy and one of my best friends in my twenties, whom I lived with, she was a makeup artist in the business. She's still working. And she, she started calling me Chrissy. And then it just kind of became this name that I would use like kind of at work and on set, but it's definitely not everybody calls me that it's kind of like a specific, like people it's, it's, I don't know. It says a lot more about the people that call me that than me. Maybe there's like this <laughs> nice kind of, kind of shorthand. I don't know. It makes me feel comfortable specifically when I'm like in an, in a working environment that might feel a little weird. And then as soon as someone says, Chrissy, I feel like, Oh, I'm safe here. This is good. Yeah. We have that in common. Um, mm-hmm. it's really weird. And I, I never thought I would admit this, uh, <laughs> in a recorded forum, but, um, <laughs> Uh, but, but my, my nickname for years has also been Chrissy <laughs> and I, we talked about this Winning. before that we have this in common and, um, uh, you know what it is, how it started for me and, and trust me, only people, yeah, there's only certain people that call me Chrissy, by the way, not everybody yeah. gets to call me that, uh, specifically yeah. my, my business partner, Nick, uh, and best friend, Nick will call me Chrissy without even yeah. thinking. And, um, it started back in college. Um, and I think it had to do with like the phonetic quality of it, honestly, because Mm -hmm. like if somebody wanted to call me, um, a nickname, it would be really lame to be like, Hey, Chris B. Hey, Chris. And then I almost sounds like Chris B like crispy chicken. (laughs) 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 Right. Right. So, so phonetically it was like easier to say, Hey, Chrissy B. Hey, Chrissy B. Mm -hmm. What's up? Mm -hmm. And it was like this fun Mm -hmm. way to call my name and give me a nickname because, uh, in high school, my nickname was Albie Shore because people, (laughs) Albie Shore was this really super popular R and B singer. And, uh, he had the song (laughs) Natalie, that was a hit. And people thought I looked like, uh, I'll, I'll be sure. <laughs> so, Did you sing like I'll be sure though? That's I, I was, I was in a singing group. I still sing. Mm-hmm. I still love to record songs and it's, it's, a, it's a passion of mine. And, um, I got that nickname because I also played football and we had a uh, summer, we had a summer, um, practice. We, we would practice all summer. And this was like a blistering day, like 98 degrees outside. And we're in full, we're in full pads. We're two hours in and they gave us a water break. And I ran over to the water hose, which was hanging from a fence. And I didn't even make it to the, I didn't make it to the hose. Like I, I went ahead and laid down on the <laughs> ground 
about two feet from the water and the water's coming out of the hose and I'm just, I'm getting wet because the water's all over the ground, but I couldn't make it to the water. That's how exhausted I was. And I just remember seeing blackness in our, in the start, in the starting running back, his name was Tony Arnold and he was a senior and I was a sophomore and he walked over, he walked over, looked at, looked down at me and then looked back at some of his friends on the team and said, I'll be sure and said, fuck it already. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I got the nickname. I'll be sure that lasted me oh my, my entire God, high school. Really funny. Yeah. So a lot of times the nickname you have, is not a nickname you want or you choose. Right. Right. right, right. I, I actually think that's it's really lame. Funny. If you give yourself a nickname. That, well, yeah, that's not allowed. Exactly. That kind of makes you have to be like a little embarrassing. Right. Or else it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't play well. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't work out. So I've, I'm a guy of a thousand nicknames. So I just thought it was funny that you had the same nickname as me yep. and maybe for the same and reason. Similar because Chrissy B was like a shortening of what my family used to call me was Chrissy bear. So then I got shortened to just Chrissy B. So like we really have the same nickname in that certain is, circles. That is bananas to me. Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah, and our birthdays I think are three days apart as well because you're. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're I both both Virgos, so yeah, interesting, yep. inter- interesting connections. So, so you have been doing this craft your entire life. Uh, just about. Uh, is it true that you got your first gig at four, four or five? Um. Well, I well, it's interesting because I've been singing and dancing and performing my whole life. But I didn't actually start working professionally until I was like in, you know, in my 20s because I I mean, I grew up in Orange County. But to me, that was just, you know, Los Angeles and Hollywood was like another country. So even though I'm from Southern California, my parents were very they knew I had an interest, but they were really, you know, it was important for them to like have me not be like a child performer. So I had, you know, kind of the typical experience growing up in Orange County playing sports and getting into music and just kind of, you know, broadening my interests a little bit. And then when I went away to school, I was like, okay, this is my, this is a thing I can actually make, make a living at. And so that's when it kind of shifted, but I was doing, um, plays and my first performance was, I think in a tap show and I was four years old and then it just took off from there. And I just, I mean, I couldn't get enough of it specifically performing on stage and doing musicals and concerts and things like that. So it was kind of nonstop my whole life. So it just clicked in for you. How did, was there a moment before that tap show or during or after? (laughs) What was it about that, that attracted you so much to the Uh world of performance? Well, it's interesting. I think that for me, the, the, the first thing was always music and dance. And so singing was this kind of thing that I could just sort of do. And my family's not particularly musical. I mean, we've got some, some like visual artists in my family, but, Mm -hmm. but I was kind of the weirdo that just started singing and dancing. And they're like, what is this thing? And so I remember being a pretty shy kid and feeling a little, um, I don't know, just like, uh, 
I was embarrassed to speak loudly or I was, I was kind of, um, I was kind of little. So I was always kind of hiding in the back of the room. I didn't raise my hand in class. Like I, you know, was kind of shy, but, but there was this power that I, that I remember specifically at a very young age being able to connect to when I was on stage dancing and singing. And it, it was this, it, I don't know. It was like I could tap into this thing that was much greater than I. And so it, there wasn't all this pressure to be smart or wonderful or this or that. I could just let this thing happen to me. And I remember feeling just, even at that young age, like addicted to it, <laughs> that feeling of safety and excitement at the same time. Right. And so many people just don't have that type of support. I mean, your parents, since they didn't come from that background, could have very easily said, you know, this is fun, but this needs to be a (laughs) hobby. Um, Let's focus on a hundred other things that will ensure that you get a, you know, a great job (laughs) when you're 25 or something. Yes, Um, absolutely. And, And it became, it was interesting because it became at a certain point, in when I was in a, a teenager in high school, we kind of had this moment where we realized, and I've been competing in all these like, you know, singing competitions and all of these scholarship competitions. And it clicked like, oh, this is actually going to be a way that I can pay for school. Like this is actually going to get me to the place where I can get a great education. And then when I got to college, I was like, oh, this will actually be my education. I don't think I had planned to really study this until it became very clear that I just, this was my path, you know, in terms of furthering my experiences in like the greater world, you know? Yeah, for for sure. And, and sometimes some parents, I don't think my parents knew how to support me in the things I wanted to do and it, it, not just performance, Mm. but, but even sports like, or like, should we go get him with a coach and should he work out? And I remember my first play was in second grade, I think maybe third grade. And, um, the teacher needed a a strong lead and they were, (laughs) it was a play about like presidents (laughs) and they were like, um, Chris, we need you to play Andrew Jackson. I said, <laughs> it's like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> have you seen my, have you seen my melanin? Uh, they're like, there's something about your hair. I think that's very Andrew. <laughs> so my very first performance was a play. I played Andrew Jackson. And the irony of that is. Uh, not wow. lost to me today, but was totally lost to me then. And I just happily yep. played the best Andrew Jackson I could play. Um, oh <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty wild. So, you, and were your parents just like, "Wow"? Were they were they? Did you have all this excitement for it? Do you remember that moment where you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever"? And did they recognize that in you? I don't know if they. I need to circle back with my yeah. dad about whether or not he saw that. Um, I'm sure I'm sure I know my mom wanted it because she used to be a choir singer and travel and do that Uh stuff. She, she loved that. And I did. So the answer question, I did, I did love it on stage. And I remember, Mm. I remember just playing, having an almost a non, I think I had one line as Peter Pan and I love that. So, (laughs) so, 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 so so far in my child resume, I've uh, played 
uh, Andrew Jackson uh-huh. <laughs> and Peter Pan. And, yeah, and um, I'll be sure. I've been, I'll be sure. I, I did. I, I was the lead of, of two, two plays, uh, uh-huh. as a, as a teenager. So I've had some fun with it. Well, and, uh, well, you're obviously you're the storyteller. I mean, like whatever, you know, and you're, it's even if you're on stage and you get something out of having one line, you're not, you don't, that doesn't happen to you unless you're meant to tell stories. Cause really it's like, you're there in support of this bigger thing. And I think that that, that's a good measure. It's like, if you're a small part of something very large and you still get excited about it, I think then you're a storyteller without a doubt. I love that. Yeah. I, I think that's really why both, both Nick and I got knee deep in into this industry mm-hmm. is because we, we love narrative and we love right. not just the stories right. that people tell, but the stories of their journeys as they tell these stories. Um, right. Well, you like the collaboration. It's, and that's why it was so fun when we were down making wild man that, I mean, and like, you know, I'm like a television actor, of course, that's like how I make a living. And it's really, you know, it's, it's been wonderful. I've learned so much by being on countless sets, but when you're down hunkered with a small group of people in someone's mom's basement and you're, and you're telling this really interesting story, like you guys really, that that's a very specific experience. It can either be really wonderful or really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And you guys definitely, you can tell that it's important for you and important to you that we all have a wonderful experience doing that. And that's something that's like, that you guys cultivate that, like that's important to you and you can feel it when you're on your set. Thank you. Thank you for Mm -hmm. that. That's that's awesome. And and we're definitely going to talk about some of the things I noticed that you did on set. (laughs) And I want to, I want to ask you about that and um, definitely want to talk about wild man, which is coming out very soon. And, um, and you do a great job in it. Um, you went to university of Arizona. Why did you choose that as a performance school or, or was there different well, circumstances around that? I, like I said, I was kind of a shy kid and I grew up in orange County. So, you know, I, I had been studying, uh, like classical music and vocal jazz performance kind of my whole life. And so, you know, I think that my, my, my had this really wonderful singing teacher who was this opera singer and she like sang at the Met when she was a child. And so I just got very lucky that I just found this, this, this teacher, her name is Mary Amorosia. And she's just this, was this incredible soprano. And so she taught me really just, just so many, so many classical, you know, about composers and about music in general. And so, you know, this idea that I would go off to like New York or to some, you know, Carnegie Mellon or Juilliard or one of these places to study music, I was like, ha ha ha, that's cute. I'm never leaving home. Right. Right. (laughs) Like the idea of of going really far away to school, it just, I wasn't, I was, I wasn't ready for that. I was too, it was too, it was too scary for me to go to like, I didn't, wasn't one of those kids that dreamed of like the big city. You know, I didn't want to go to New York or have those experiences. I just wasn't, I wasn't there yet. I was a little kind of, you know, I was too scared or shy or something. I don't know. But so I auditioned for one program, the university of Arizona, and I got in. And so that's where I went (laughs) and I uh, got a scholarship for singing 
And I was there and I had an interest in vocal jazz, but then I switched to musical theater because I had this feeling like, oh, this is actually, I'm going to learn like a, a new side of storytelling this way. Because I think it occurred to me that what I really wanted to do was tell, tell stories. Mm-hmm. And so U of A had a really great, their top 10 at the time, I don't know where they sit today, but a really great musical theater BFA. So it made sense you could have, you know, and they have a really, really wonderful school of dance and a really great, uh, like, jazz school. So they have a lot of these really wonderful kind of isolated programs. And I figured I could be exposed to all of these if I had musical theater as my major. And I was, it was really, really, um, it was a good education. Theater programs are hard, but at the same time, I do think they prepare you for the business (laughs) because of that. Right. You know, and did you feel you were always going to go in and be an actress or did you pursue uh, a full-time singing career at any point? Well, singing was kind of at, it was kind of on the top of the list. But then I think when, as soon as I left home and went to school, I realized that I just, you know, I'd, I'd studied it my whole life. And I think at a certain point there, you, you, you know, you're in these programs and you're learning all these classical things that you've already kind of learned. And it's kind of a part of you already. And singing I think in terms of storytelling is so, and this is probably not quite in line with what they teach you at these like musical theater schools, but I think that so much emphasis goes on your voice and how you sound and what the tone is and blah, blah, blah. And I really think that it's, it's the singing will come. If you can carry a tune, great. You'll carry the tune, but really you need to learn how to act and how to tell a story and how to have honest moments. Cause you can be the best singer in the world. And if you're not connected to what you're saying, or you're not, you know, you using the, 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 your technique in terms of being an actor in the right way, it doesn't matter how good you sound, you know? So I think that I, you know, I could have just done the vocal jazz program or I could have done this or that, but I wanted to set that aside. And I mean, obviously I, it wasn't that far aside because we were still doing musicals and stuff like that, but I really wanted to focus on this other aspect that I felt like I, and I had never taken an acting class. I mean, I'd never done a, a, a straight play. I'd only done musicals. So, mm. and so I, you know, took Shakespeare and Moliere and Chekhov and all these interesting kind of technical classical kind of acting things that I had never been exposed to. So I, I was hungry for that kind of experience. Yeah. I think you're truly uh, uh, on the point, uh, um, right on point with, with what you said about having to, it's, it's not just the, how great your voice is, but is your voice mm-hmm. unique? Like I always bring up Billy Corgan as an example of someone who, mm. who probably isn't pleasant to listen to. But he's mm. he's such a but he actually uses his voice really well. A. Mm-hmm. B, he's in the right genre. And C, he's a great writer. And then on top of that, right. he's super over the top and theatrical at a moment when being, you know, sort of goth and emo was super, super popular. So right. it was almost a movement. So it was the timing thing uh as well, uh that, that went yeah. into that. 
Um, and also, I think just his honesty with who he was. I think he really knew who he was. And I think at the end of the day, he was trying to like tell us something. Yeah. He was trying to say like, no, 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 no. This is, you need to hear this thing. I'm trying to tell you something. And that comes across, you know, much it, it, more than like, oh, that was pretty. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's, a, that's exactly right. Like there's a reason why, you know, people would listen to Johnny Cash before they might listen to Trisha Yearwood, even though yeah. you, could, you could objectively say Trisha Yearwood's a better singer. Um, right. And I love me some Trisha Yearwood. And she's yeah, and, and and I do, and I'm not putting down Trisha yeah. Yearwood at all. She she yeah. will come and find but me. But you're but you're right though that there's some people, there's there's a there's kind of like a quality to a message, right? That I think will always like uh, trump the way something might be sitting in your ear. But that's also just so such like a such a personal opinion. But then you have like Freddie Mercury who sang had the most excitingly beautiful voice I've mm -hmm. ever heard in my life. When I first heard him when I was a kid, I was like, what is this instrument that's not normal? Mm -hmm. And he had this incredible message and he sang so beautifully. So it's like, that just takes you to the stratosphere. I mean, and those are really the best musical theater actors where you go to Broadway and you're, and you're, you're watching someone tell this incredible story, but their voice is also so freaking good mm -hmm. that it just transports you. I mean, it's insane to watch someone have both. It, it and is. it's rare. It, it is rare. And having just listened and been involved in music my entire life, um, you, you start to realize how truly rare it is. And, um, my guy right now is Frank Ocean. Um, oh, because, so amazing. Because he writes a lot better than most. And then on top of that, he doesn't, uh, he intentionally doesn't give you what you want, which is to hear him just sort of sing out. Um, right. And he restrains you so much. And he's so restrained that when he does do it, it almost always gives you goosebumps. And you're like, ah, he's so smart with how he is going to give you those notes and how he's going to give you those melodies yeah. and when he's going to pull back. So anyway, there's and it's my part of the story. Yeah. Frank, it's, Frank it's ocean like, plug for the oh, day. <laughs> oh God. It, it really plug, is. Plug. It really is. Um, I could just talk about music all day. I could just do that. It's so I, I know. So we have that in competition. So I, I could definitely do that. And I have done that. And I'm sure I've talked people's ears off about music. <laughs> um, but, but that's who I, that's, that's, that's a blast to me. Um, I had a friend growing up named uh, Kristen, and we would lay on the floor in my bedroom, and we would stare at the ceiling, and we would just play music, and we would listen to it mm -hmm. deeply, and then we would talk about what we heard, and we would break down uh, everything, you know, hip hop. We'd break down um, uh, Tori Amos. <laughs> we'd break oh down. Oh my gosh, I love it. We'd, we'd break down everything. So. One day we'll have to break down music together and, and yes. see, see what commonalities we find. Um, oh my gosh, yes. You have been on and been a part of some of the world's favorite shows, like like, like <laughs> most people's favorite shows, you are part of them. So whether it be uh, <laughs> The Walking Dead, Hello Ladies, um, I have to talk to you about Flash Forward because that was my favorite show for a really long time. And 
with all this experience, uh, the odd couple, perfect couple, like, so you've, you've had this deep experience. Um, I'm curious, what advice um, have you picked up along the way um, that's really stuck with you? And who did it come from? Mm, I, that's such a great question. You know, it, it's, it's, you can't do this job without so much help and so much support, you know? And it's like, you think of when, when nobody is able to do this on their own. Right. And so I had a manager early on, his name was Eric Emery. He's still a manager today. <clears throat> And he was actually my agent at the time. He was my first contact in LA, the first person I met. And he was so incredible and just totally developed me into uh, the kind of auditioner that I am today, the kind of um, uh, just kind of, he, you know, he, he encouraged me every time I had an audition to ask for feedback when I got home, to call and say, ask them how I did please tell them to give me notes. And like, you, you would be surprised. That's kind of an unusual, I, I would, you know, some other, my actor friends would be like, Oh, I didn't go well. And I'd be like, well, why would they say? And they'd be like, well, what do you mean? what they say? And they say, well, what was the feedback? And they said, well, what do you mean? Was the feedback? And I said, well, did you call and say, get me the feedback? And they were like, Oh no, I just, it didn't go well. So I just figured that I shouldn't call, but Eric taught me and it stuck with me so much that even if you feel like you did a bad job where you're like, well, that was shitty. Cause Oh, pardon my language. Whoopsies. That no, no, this is, this is an adult program. Crappy. So you can say what you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> that was bad because of X, Y, Z. You don't actually know if it was bad and you don't actually know why, if it didn't feel well, why it didn't feel well. So to, to, for, for a new person starting out, even when you feel like you were just, oh, that was such a bad audition. I know that I just was blah, 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 blah. Make them tell you why. Because sometimes they'll, they'll say something that is like so not in line with what you were thinking. Or they'll give you a really great piece of advice. Like, you know, she was really good, but it felt like she was, you know, she was a little uncomfortable with the, with the, with the dramatic scene. Or, you know, something that makes you go, huh, okay, I'm going to consider that and really think about it because, you know, you, you go out there and you audition, it's incredibly vulnerable. You're in there, you're give, you're just opening your heart up and then you're walking away. And it's like, to you, it's like this most incredibly important emotional thing. And to the rest of the world, it's like, it didn't even happen. So to be engaged with that process from a technical standpoint and to call and say, how did that go? What do you think? It kind of takes takes the, 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 the mysticism out of it and you become very grounded and you hear the feedback and you go, okay, that's something I can work on. And then you can kind of actually walk away from it, you know? And I think it also sends the message to these casting directors that you do want to get better, that you do want to know, um, why it necessarily isn't going your way this time or, 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 or you got a call back. That's great. I, what, what did you think? You know, things like that. I think that that piece of advice early on was really, really helpful. And then another piece of advice that he gave me was specifically it's in the beginning, right? When you're first starting out, it's mm -hmm. not your job to book the job. It's your job to do a good job at your audition. 
And to just focus on that and focus on the material because so many factors, you know, it's just, it's lightning in a bottle. It's, it's, you get lucky and you're prepared and blah, 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 that you actually start to book the work. Right. But in the beginning, it's just, just, just focus on doing a good job at your auditions and let that be enough for a while. And it just took all the pressure off and it was so helpful. I think, um, that, that is, both of those things are so nuanced and simple, Mm -hmm. but super valuable. And you're right. People don't do it. And it just, like just listening to you say that gave me ah ahas about, man, like (laughs) I bet, I bet people would book 30% more work if they just did the, did the post sort of the post audition work they they ought to do. So that's, um, that's going to be really valuable for everybody. And, and, um, I mentioned, uh, flash forward earlier in that list of shows. It stands out to me because it was my first sort of experience with you. Um, Mm -hmm. <laughs> without without us being in the room together. Um, right. <laughs> and I look at that cast and I am baffled at how that is not, you know, the best show of all time. It had John show. <laughs> it had Courtney B Vance. It had Joseph fine. It had you like what, what happened on that show? Um, you know, it's interesting. I think it was around, you know, it was like 2009, 2010. So I think it was around that time when like we had kind of the financial crisis. And mm-hmm. I think it was in that moment where, you know, people started making really expensive TV after mm-hmm. like lost right. happened mm-hmm. and they started to just really go for it for like all the, you know, the, the major networks were doing it. And I think it turned into this thing where unless you, uh, had, a president of a network that championed the material and, and said, I'm going to stick by this till the end and then stay at the network. Then you have a chance on getting on. But again, a lot of these shows we would, we would do a season and then the head of the network would leave or, you know, someone else would take over programming. So it's, it's, it's one of those kind of strange luck of the draw things that, that happens. And also when you've got shows that have such that production value that like flash forward, where it was just like, we made like a movie every week. I mean, so much action and intensity. And the, I mean, it was, it was a big, big deal cast. It was a big deal, you know, production value. So I think that, you know, it just wasn't sustainable in the long run. Yeah. It's a really but good, it's a, it's it was a, wonderful experience though. Yeah, it's a really good point. I, I bet it was um, because I do think of it. I think it came out recently, and it was called The Leftovers, and <laughs> and that worked out really nice. And most people don't make that correlation between the plot yeah. line of Flash Forward and The Leftovers. And there are there are startling differences. And Regina King yeah. is amazing in that show, and and and, so and and everyone wrote and acted in that it was was brilliant. Um, but the themes are there, like right, like the disappearing people. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and like, do we have control over our lives or not? Exactly. You know? Exactly. So I thought there were some borrowed themes there. So kudos to you 
without you and flash forward, there would be no leftovers. Uh, <laughs> there, we said it. Um, you talked about a little bit of what separates you from, and, and I mean, you, you're someone with, with over 60 credits. So for newcomers and people who are actively working in the business, um, you mentioned some of the things you do post audition set you apart. What else do you think has separated mm -hmm. you over the span of time and has helped you be so successful? Is there something you do in preparation? Is there something you actually do in the actual audition? Is it, is it the power of your networking? What do you, what do you think? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. And it's so funny because my human, always my human kind of response to that is, oh, I'm not that successful. I haven't been on a show for more than one season, <laughs> you know, right. like, mm -hmm. but then I've got people that are like, oh my gosh, you've done, are you kidding me? I have, I've, I've never done a pilot, you know? So it's success is so, it's such a funny thing because some of my most successful friends are like, man, you're so lucky. You, you've got all these different things that you get to do. You're not tied down to like one show or, you know, and, and I look at them and I'm like, wow, but you like have a house and stuff and you like, can, you have these things. So success is so, you know, I, and in my quiet moments, I can really sit down and think of all the things that I'm so grateful for. And I think that I've, success, I think really is just about honoring your your path, being on your path and staying on your path and staying focused on the work, continuing to check in, you know, setting goals from, uh, you know, a creative perspective. And I don't know, like, you know, there's, there's this whole thing about manifesting your dreams and that's so wonderful to do. And, you know, vision boards and all that stuff. And I've sometimes got friends that are like, Christine, what do you, what show do you want to do this season? And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, you gotta know, you gotta know, you gotta <laughs> write it down. You gotta write the candle. You gotta do the And it's, and it, while that's true, I think you need to set goals and have intentions. Um, but I think for me, the process has always been, I, I mean, I, I think back to the actor I was on flash forward and I think, oh, wow, like I had a great perspective and, and I learned a lot. But then I imagine who, how I would have grown as an actor by staying on the same show that was my first show that got picked up. And I think, oh, my gosh, I've, I'm such a different actor because I've been, you know, I've been tossed around and shaped and bumped and bruised and changed. And I'm d trying all this new material. And, and, and I think that I guess how I consider myself successful is that I've been able to go from thing to thing and, and, and just learn from all of those. So it's, it's, it's very lucky that I think I, I, I'm turning into a better actor all the time because of these different experiences and because of all of these, you know, when you, when you, when you have to make a movie you know, in when it's 200 degrees outside and you're hanging out of a car and you're not, it's just a bunch of friends that are trying to make this thing for, you know, $400,000 and you're, you're, you know, that shapes you mm -hmm. as an actor. And I think that my success comes from 
all of those experiences, just doing, doing the thing a lot in a lot of different ways, you know? And, and forgive me for making that question a little bit overbroad, but, um, if I narrowed it a little bit and just said, uh, here's, here are the people who go in auditions and don't get booked. And here's you right. who t- tends to go into auditions and get the gig. Is there mm-hmm. something that you're doing from a process standpoint that's like in the audition or in your preparation that is helping you get booked when you audition? So I guess to, to answer that question, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a mindset and I think that, I go in, uh, it was kind of like fake it till you make it kind of a situation. Cause I used to go in and think to myself, okay, so I'm auditioning for these people. Right. But I'm also auditioning them because I want to have a fulfilling creative experience. That's interesting. So if I'm right for the role, great. I did my work. Now let's see if there's that thing, that yummy thing where we have a conversation about the material or I ask them a question and they've got a wonderful response. You know, it's, it's about, this is so collaborative and, you know, I think so many people go into these audition rooms and they immediately give all their power away and they're like, sorry, thank you. Thank you. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. And they're just, they're just, you have all the power. I'm just, I'm just a lowly, lowly piece of crap. I do. I don't deserve anything. Like it's that thing that happens and you can kind of snowball. And I think that just taking a deep breath and really, really being available to your own feeling about the material and your own feeling about the creative team. And are these you know, people that I want to be working with? Is this a story that I want to be telling? Are these Mm -hmm. people in line with my kind of sensibilities? And I do think that that even just that subtle shift of genuinely being present that is, that comes as a result of that, I think it just makes people feel more relaxed and more comfortable. And so I think that I, 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 probably early on booked a lot of work specifically in television because I would take that moment before to think like, okay, well, let's see, let's pay attention to, to, you know, the other side of the camera. This isn't just about me right now. Gotcha. That's, that's, we've never heard that before. So that's, that's very powerful advice for, those that are doing this and listening, um, you mentioned earlier, and, and by the way, thank you for that. That's like, like I said, super powerful. And um, you mentioned um, not having, you know, this sort of grass is greener perspective. You were mentioning some people stay on shows for 10 years. You've been able to sort of bounce around. People look at that and say, wow, that's kind of awesome. You can do different things. Um, you've also been in, in a number of independent films. I, I know that, um, your talent just jumped off the screen for me when I saw you in before the sun explodes. Um, that was really good. And by the way, Sarah Butler was in that with you in six yes, degrees of separation. Sarah. Sarah. Uh, She's yeah. She was also in our, our film we just released, um, all light will end. So, oh, that's right. a little six degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon game there. Um, <laughs> so, with all these experiences, which 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 would you say 
um, you grew the most as an actor on um, out of all uh, your experiences? Where, 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 where did you go uh, on set um, or what experience on set or, or in a project where you said to yourself, wow, okay, I've leveled up here? Uh, you know, I think that the, the times when I've really learned the most specifically the show perfect couples comes to mind a couple of shows come to mind a couple of projects perfect couples was a comedy that i did with scott silveri and uh john pollock these incredible writers and they uh it was right after flash forward and i just was doing this drama thing and then all of a sudden i went into this comedy space and i just learned so much by um really uh, uh, listening to just kind of the other actors were all so brilliant and so funny. And the way that they write just this very honest, grounded, kind of loving comedy, I just, I feel like I just, every day when I would read their scripts, I would learn something about comedy and I would learn how um, how, how simple it really is and how it doesn't have to be this over complicated kind of scientific thing that I think some people make it out to be that it's actually right. just about intention. And most of the time it's the funniest when you're intending to try to do the be- the right thing. Right. And then you don't. And I think that that was a big, just in terms of material, a really, really uh, a big kind of growing experience in terms of like, and I think after that, I, I started to think like, oh, I want to do comedy. Like this is something that comedy is something that I really feel comfortable with and drawn to. And before that, I don't think that I, I'd thought that I thought I was going to just do dramas and, you know, and, uh, so, so it was very, I learned a lot doing that show and I, and also specifically, I, since then, I really think that the most kind of learning experiences I've had have been on these like really low budget indie features mm-hmm. where I learn a lot about the camera that way. I learn a lot about um, how to creatively uh, change something at the last minute because of, of limitations, which I think can sometimes be such a miracle Mm -hmm. and can cause an incredible thing to happen. Um, I think that I did this movie that I was the lead of um, directed by Joe Sill called stray. And it, um, I think we got an international release uh, recently and it was a dark gritty kind of, uh, uh, the cast half Japanese, half Mm -hmm. American and kind of mystical crime mystery, (laughs) kind of noir thriller. And I, it was, it was so hard just in terms of like, uh, you know, I was in every scene basically. Mm -hmm. And I'd done that on television, but it's a different thing to do it on like an indie set. And I learned a lot about how important it is as just kind of the lead of a feature to go in there and just be so engaged with the people around you and kind of, you know, you just don't, you don't have time to not be so completely in the moment. 
Yeah. Because you just don't have time. You just have to do it. You have to get it when you have, you know, you have an hour to get something, you've got to do it in the hour. So that was a huge learning experience. And I think after doing that film, I realized like, oh, I can be the lead of movies. I can do this. This is not this. it, It was demystified for me that I could carry a feature because up until then, I don't think that I had ever considered myself as that actor. But yeah. so that was really exciting. Which from the Total outside, talk. for me, seems seems crazy because um, just just, you know, looking at your talent on screen throughout the projects you've done, um, I would totally guess that you could do that. But but we have heard that feedback before. Chris Winty talks about and has talked about what it meant to to have to be so focused and so all in um, mm-hmm. on uh, when he led other versions of you. But here's a movie that was, um, and as we all know, you you know you shoot the movie, but if but if in post you realize you need to do pickups um, and and different types of things, you have to keep your look the same for a long time. <laughs> and, yeah. And he talked about, man, I've got to keep this beard and this haircut, and I've got to keep this body type and everything, so that it all matches up. And um, mm-hmm. and I don't think Ted gets enough uh, or gives himself enough credit sometimes for what he did in wild man being in every single scene. Oh my gosh. It was insane. To, and having to carry that movie through comedy and then it being really emotional. And, and um, that's a nice segue into sort of how you got involved. So would you share with everyone, you know, how you got involved with wild man and what was it about the character that, that you played um, that, that drew you to the film or the team or, mm-hmm. or anything? Well, I, so I'm friends with Stephanie Black and Jackie, the director, mm-hmm. directors, co-directors. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, uh, I'm in a theater company with Stephanie. And so we'd been friends for a really long time. And she said, you know, I'm directing, uh, my first feature and I'd really love you to read the script. And so I read it and I was just so completely tickled and I just thought it was so funny and so well done. And Stephanie's just this, Stephanie and Ted wrote this. It was a story that Ted came up with and Stephanie and Ted wrote it together. And I, she's just such a great technician too, with the way that she writes and the way that she kind of grasps storytelling. And I just thought it was so funny. And the, the character that I played, it, it just, she just made me laugh. And when I just heard her, I heard my voice, Mm -hmm. you know, she's all the time. Yeah. She's very real. She's very grounded. And I, you know, and, and it's this interesting thing. It's like you, sometimes a script can be so amazing and the character is so funny, but you're like, well, that's not me. I don't hear myself in that. Mm -hmm. But then when I read this, I was like, oh, that's me. I hear that. I hear myself in this character. So I think that, I mean, you know, when your best friend's like, I'm directing my first feature. You're like, I'm there. I'm there. I'm so there. What do you need? How can we get this done? So I think that that, you know, it's, and of course I love Ted and I think he's just such an incredible actor and a wonderful performer. And so it was definitely a no brainer in terms of the people on the project. And it was a blast. I had such a great time. It was a blast. And I remember being there at night one time on set and you were sitting down in 
and uh, where we were doing the dailies and then also where all the food was being served. <laughs> it's kind of the same room. Uh, Typical. Typical yep. woods. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm looking at you and you are in your own space, almost in a meditative place. And you started doing some preparation before your next scene. It involved some singing, maybe, if I'm thinking of it correctly, um, and some movement around your jaw. So what was that? Was that a one-off thing? Do you typically do that? What is, what is your preparation before you're about to shoot your scene to get yourself prepared physically and emotionally for a scene? You know, it's so funny. Just my whole life, because I just trained as a singer, I will do just totally not even consciously vocal exercises on set. Well, I'll just like, like I'll do like classical singing exercises. And people are like, I forget that I'm not around like a bunch of theater performers and like some musical people. And so people will look at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, oh. Oh, I'm relaxing my jaw. I'm freeing my, 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 my vocal cords. I'm getting out, I'm getting tension out. Like all of these little techniques that you do, you do really actually rely on as a, as a, as a technician vocally. And as a singer, you rely on those exercises to, um, not necessarily change the sound of your voice, but to release the tension in your body so that you can just be not thinking about the, you know, how you sound or if it's coming out properly. Mm -hmm. And so I think that whenever I feel, cause you know, I'll on camera, if you're in a moment where you're going to trying to be really tense and the things are difficult, like maybe you don't want to be so relaxed, you know, maybe cause it's just so real. And if the camera's very tight, then you can kind of just really have the experience. But when I'm doing certain scenes where, you know, there's a lot of people in the scene or there's just um, it calls for a little more flexibility. I do vocal exercises as if I'm about to like sing. <laughs> right. No, yeah. it, it, it was great. And I, I, when I saw it, I thought everyone should do that. And it, it did. It, rem <laughs> it reminded me of going to vocal uh, training. So mm -hmm. back, back when I had a vocal teacher and some of the stuff they would have us do to warm up before just practice began. And even this whole sort of reverse breathing technique that I was taught, which sounds ridiculous. And it sounds awful when mm -hmm. people hear it then like, how can that help you sing better? And it's like, well, you know, you're building muscle on the side of your, yeah. you know, on, on your vocal cord. And it's like, but yeah. it sounds like you have a problem and you need right. to be taken to either a mental <laughs> hospital or to an emergency room. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely like if you've ever been at like, you know, the call of a theater when you're doing a musical and you, you watch all the actors on stage doing their specific warmups. I mean, it's like a crazy, it's a mental hospital. Like it's, 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 it looks like an, an asylum mm -hmm. people doing all of their weird things. Yeah. <laughs> Some, what you just said for whatever reason reminded me of a story that, um, my dad told me over, uh, Thanksgiving weekend about, <laughs> he ended up, he ended up in the holiness church for some reason. Mm -hmm. I can't remember why he's not super religious at all, but he was there. Oh no, no, that's what it was. It wasn't that he went there recently is that he had ended up there years and years and years ago um, with my mother before she passed away. So this mm -hmm. is like pre 2007. Wow. And he said, 
everyone there prays out loud. Like it's part of the religion to pray out loud individually. And that when it starts, it is like absolute chaos. It is is, is unbelievable. uh, Scene. Uh, He said, you can't hear yourself think it's, it's so loud. And, and um, I immediately thought someone needs to film that. Oh yeah. Because that would be an amazing scene. Totally. <laughs> in in anything. So yeah, just th- just the fact is the quirkiness of that. Like um, you know, everybody should have their own prayer. No man can pray for you. I guess it's kind of like in the in the yeah. great book. And so they really take it literally, and everyone prays out loud. Anyway, oh that's God. a that's oh, a great. that's one of my <laughs> classic asides that I do. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> moving on. Um, you, you, you've, you've worked with so many, so many, so many great people and um, across the spectrum of, of this industry. I'm curious who, as you were coming up, who did you look up to? Who did you want to emulate? And what did they do that, that really made them stand apart, that made them special for you? And it can be anything. It can be directors, writers, producers, actors, uh, actresses, whatever. Um, I think that, like, uh, growing up, I specifically was very obsessed with Judy Garland. Interesting. And uh, Leslie Caron. Mm-hmm. And all of these uh, performers who were singers and dancers and Gene Kelly. And, you know, it, for me, it was all about music. And how did you, and I'm sorry to interject, but how did you get yeah. access to those performers as a child? you know, in the eighties and nineties. I love, I love answering this question. My grandpa, my grandfather Sterling, he was my uh, dad's dad and he died when I was like nine years old. Mm -hmm. But when I was a little girl and he was this, like, I used to, as a little girl, like, like, I think I thought he was John Wayne, even though I knew that he wasn't (laughs) like, I I kind of thought that that was him Mm -hmm. because he exposed my brother and I to you know, when we were very little, we watched all of the John Wayne Westerns and he was obsessed with, with, uh, meet me in St. Louis was my first like movie. I remember being like, just could not tear myself away from the the little TV in the living room. And, and then just being like, who is that woman? Who is Judy Garland? I need to know everything about her. I need to see every movie. And so he slowly started showing me a lot of her movies. And, and then I, and then I started to, you know, Gene Kelly and he, she, he showed me, you know, singing in the rain. And I was just like, what the heck? And then, then I, you know, started tap dancing and it was just, it just came naturally to me. And I, was just, he was this hulking, manly, ex-military guy who was just absolutely just enthralled by the arts and, and film. And he, it was really, really fun to share that with him because, you know, looking at him walk across the street, you would never think like, Oh, that guy's super into musicals, but he Mm -hmm. loved them. And it felt like a very special thing that I got to share with him. And I'll always think of him whenever I, you know, see any old movies or, you know, if I catch something on while I'm at home for the holidays, I always watch meet me in St. Louis over the Christmas time. Right. And, uh, so yeah, he, he, I credit him with, with, um, really the beginning of all of that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. And, and 
so, so you you were looking up to to Judy Garland and and folks like that uh, to emulate. Did has that stayed with you? Is there has that changed? Are there other people now that you look to? Um, she's always very special to me in my heart. She will always be very special, Judy Garland. Um, but you know what? I just honestly, I obviously the greats, like I just, obviously I love Meryl Streep and Glenn Close and all these incredibly strong, powerful women. Um, I, you know, I, I'm also really, I love my peers too. And I watch shows that my friends are on and that my friends do. And, and I'm, constantly inspired by that. I'm always really inspired by new filmmakers and that are doing like they're, you know, they're taking a crack at their first thing. And, you know, it's like Sam Rockwell, like all of these performers, I, you know, I, I go see a really great movie and I think like, oh my God, this is incredible. That person is my favorite actor. And then I'll go to a movie again and I'll think the same thing about the performance in that film, you know? Mm. So I, I mean, I could, I, I just think that there's everybody is so epically wonderful. I have such a long list of people that, you know, I don't hang my hat on one favorite. I mean, Sam Rockwell is probably my favorite actor. I would say Sam just, Rockwell gets more mentions on this podcast than any other person. He's the actor's actor. He's an American treasure. We're very lucky <laughs> to have him. I mean, truly, his work is just spectacular. I agree completely. And Glenn Close did a show that I guess not enough people watched, but I definitely watched it named Damages or called Damages. Oh, I definitely watched that. She should have won all the awards. That (laughs) was so great. Any award you can give to an actor or actress in television should have gone to Glenn Close for that show. She was unbelievably sociopathic in that. Oh, she was so good. That was also a time when like, People were still like, what? Glenn Close is doing a TV show? Like that was right around the time when like, I think she kind of shattered that, mm-hmm. that, that if, if anybody had any, any, you know, reluctance to do television, I think that she was like, she kind of blew that out of the water. Yeah. I in agree. In terms of movie stars, you know. Yeah, I agree. And she did it in a, in a really significant way. I think at the end of that series too, they ended up getting John Goodman on there as well. So it was, yeah. It was really powerful, uh, for sure. Um, I'm curious if you had one month, uh, Chrissy, to hmm. teach someone how to do what you do, uh, how to act. You had one month to make them competent, let's say, or, or one month to get them uh, uh, to guarantee that they get booked on a role. What would be the first three things you would teach them? Oh, my gosh. That's a crazy question. <laughs> if I, so I had one month. Well, mm-hmm. instantly I think like, okay, so it's a competition. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a, there's an award at the end. Okay. So one right. month I would probably, you know, and starting out, we didn't have, I mean, we had like Facebook, that's it. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have, you know, all the Instagram. There wasn't this idea of branding there wasn't this idea of, you know, your social media presence and how that actually plays into casting and what have you. So, so I, I, I wouldn't really probably know what to tell someone in terms of like self marketing, but I do know that I would encourage 
first and foremost, I would encourage someone to every time someone says, well, you have to do this and this and this, or nobody will pay attention to just like throw it out the window. Mm -hmm. I cannot tell you. And I can't, I, I can't think of, I can't articulate what those things are now. But when I was starting out is people said like, well, you have to have your headshot this way and this way, and you have to do your mailers this way and this way. And you have to not hold your script when you go in and you have like all these rules. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's stupid. I'm not doing the have to, I'm going to just do what I need to do. Like I'm going to do the, do the thing that feels comfortable. And sometimes along the way, people would be like, that's don't do that. <laughs> and mm -hmm. you go, oh, okay, you learn, but you learn from the powers that be, you learn from the people giving you the job, what to do. And I, I think that the most important thing is to be authentic to your own experience. And, you know, people get on me all the time. Like Christine, market yourself better. Go on your Instagram. Your Instagram is just dogs. <laughs> like, change it up. <laughs> I love your Instagram. <laughs> but, what are they talking but, about? Yeah. But, but, but I do know that they're, you know, that from having friends in production and having friends in development and stuff that like, you know, at a certain level, that is important, you know, at a certain, maybe breaking into the business or getting, you know, that's important. But I think that if I were to sit and try to seem like this person that I'm not right, it, it, it wouldn't be authentic and people could feel that. So my number one advice would to be like, forget all the rules that people say you have to, you must adhere to, to be successful and start getting really comfortable with, you know, finding your process that's mm -hmm. personal and empowering to you because it's not going to be like everybody else's and you've got to explore to find that out. You know, you've got to just audition for as many things as possible and get the feedback and focus on the material and all the other stuff. I think all the details around it, it, it they, they, they will come, they will reveal themselves. You'll, you know, people will find you if you focus on the work. Mm-hmm is my advice. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And so going down that, that line, um, within that month you have to, to, to teach them, is there anything else you throw in there from a craft perspective that you teach them to do? Um, you know what? I would probably teach two things. The one thing I would teach would be how to actually read a script. Okay. Because I think that. that, well, because I think that people, you know, we're certainly like in pilot season where we get thrown a lot of scripts and you've mm -hmm. got to read them. And I think that, um, as a young actor, I would read everything like beginning to end. And there was a moment when I was reading it where I was just like, Oh, I don't like this. Oh, but I would finish it. And I think that, you know, when you're starting out, that's probably helpful. But I do think that it's okay if you don't like it. It's okay mm -hmm. if it's not, if you don't think it's very good, you're allowed to, you're mm -hmm. allowed to be like, ah, eh, this isn't great. I don't really like it. Like you're allowed to have, you know, you, you've not only are you working on your craft, but you're working on your ability to recognize stories that you'd like to help tell. And so, you know, there's, I think, 
it's important maybe to read something and think like, oh, I'm not really into this, but then you audition for the practice and then you, you know, you go through the motions because if you're brand new, you've got to practice going into a room and you've got to practice doing material that you're, you're, doesn't really speak to you. And you've got to ask the thoughtful questions and stuff like that. But, you know, I think that, and I think this comes from my theater background, but when you read a script that you really like, and let's say you get the job and you get this role, I think that in order to best serve the piece, you've got to know why your characters in this world and what the writer is using your character to say, mm-hmm. like, why, why are you there? And you come up with that statement of like, why do I exist? And what is my purpose within this story? And that to me takes all the pressure off trying to like create this interesting character or develop this kind of, cause I think that like people, actors early on, they, they think like, oh, I've got to be this interesting thing. And I've got to, I've got to say that, you know, it's like, just, you don't have to do anything. Mm. You're just, you're just there to, to articulate something. So I think find the statement that, that, that feels like you're there to articulate and then, and then build your character from that. Yeah. Cause that'll yeah. help you. Yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly right. And we, we give this similar advice in our consoles to young directors, especially directors that are doing shorts. They tend to want to throw every trick they ever learned into that first film. And sometimes they do it at the sacrifice at the detriment of the film and the, and the narrative. So you didn't tell your best story because you wanted to do a dolly shot (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. that that you didn't need. Um, or some weird, super, super, super duper close up, slow, pu- slow push in on someone's face that took up, you know, 30 seconds of screen time when you could have moved your narrative forward, things like that. Right. Um, exactly. Exactly. You, you don't have to do that at all. So you, you mentioned earlier in this conversation about, um, the series of shorts you're doing, I think it's called peen P E E N. Um, well, actually that is, is that what you have coming film. up next? Um, well, that's actually a short film that I did a little while ago that was written and directed by the, by Melissa Stevens, who is writing and directing all of these other shorts. But this is so same collaborator. But the shorts that we're doing, they're they're called Finding the Asshole. Yeah, Finding the Asshole. That's very okay. funny, and they <laughs> are uh, really kind of short, kind of experimental, uh, just uh, comedy shorts that, uh, the, the narrative and the through line is that everybody's the asshole. So this idea that, um, uh, you can spot them within the piece becomes just like really funny and it's, it's, it's lighthearted, but she's, she's very experimental. Like she's very avant-garde in the way she shoots these things. So it's, it's this very, uh, kind of interesting camera life that you have for, uh, absurdist comedy that, you know, it's like, we're really, we're putting a lot of importance into the absurd. We're taking it very seriously. And I love it. I just, I love her voice. I love uh, most of these actors that we're using are these incredible, uh, 
you know, writers themselves, sketch writers, performers. And so it's been really rewarding to really get behind something that I like that, um, purely because I like it. Yeah. That's, that's the best when you can do that. And I read about finding the asshole actually, and I, I I really liked one of the storylines. And so taking from that, I'll, I'll leave, I'll let that lead into my next question, which is if I went to a Starbucks with Mary Elizabeth Ellis or Melissa (laughs) Stevens, Mm -hmm. which one would be more likely to flirt with the barista? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. That's an interesting question. I don't know. I think Mary Elizabeth Ellis is uh, a a little bit friendlier than Melissa. Yeah. Okay. So good. So so um, hopefully I do get to go to a coffee shop with both of those ladies. Um, <laughs> One day. And and you, of course, all three of you are amazing at what you do. You stay busy. Um, you're very creative. And, uh, I, you know, with, with, in the case of uh, uh, Mary Elizabeth um, Ellis, you know, also very uh, outspoken politically and, and aligned yes. with some of the things that uh, I truly believe in as well. Yes. Um, yes. You um, recently directed... Cult of Love, is that right? Did you direct? Um, I was Cult in of Cult of Love, but did you no, direct one of the Cult one day plays at all? Oh, I've directed like a one at like our yeah, like one of the one day plays for I Am a Theater Company uh, earlier this year. How was yeah. that experience for you? Do you do you think you want to do it again? You know, I do. I love I love directing. I I love directing for the stage. I think it's um. It's very different than directing for camera. I mean, I think that I have a lot of experience on set, so I kind of understand what goes into to you know pre-production and, and doing something like that as a director. But doing something that's that's for one day, and you've got these amazing actors, and you've got brand new material. It's just so. You, I mean, you really just like it, it's it's up to up to the gods. I mean, it could be totally magical or totally Mm -hmm. garbage can, but either way it's fun and it's exciting and intense and people are running around and trying to learn their lines. And, and, and I think that I like, I like the experimental, I like the kind of immersive and, and, and kind of off the, the, the regular path in terms of being a director. I think that's when you really get to collaborate and discover and, um, yeah, I think it is something that I'll do that I'll do more of in the future. I mean, I think that right now I'm just on this kick of really loving the producing side and the of course always acting in all of these shorts. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I think it's directing is definitely in my future. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to have a great time sort of watching you pursue all of these endeavors and all of your dreams and goals and intention, as you mentioned earlier in this podcast as well and in this conversation. Um, And I think you're going to do great at all of them because you have the right spirit for it and the right drive. And um, uh, I can't thank you enough uh, for taking the time today 
to uh, just tell us a little bit more about you, to talk about what you're working on, and to share your insights and perspectives. So thank you again for for all of that. Do you, do you mind telling everyone where they can find you on social media and on the internet, and where maybe they can see your work? Yes, I uh, well, thank you. Firstly, this has been so wonderful, and. I really, it's such, I appreciate what you're doing here and I enjoy the podcast and, um, I think it's a really great tool that people, um, yeah, people are lucky to have it. So thank you for doing it and thank, thank you. you for having me. Of course. Um, I, like I said earlier, I'm not very active on social media, but I do have an Instagram account and it's an embarrassing name. It's tricky bear. <laughs> T-R-I-C-K-Y-B-E-A-R. And it's, uh, again, mostly dogs, but I do promote some of the things that I do. Like if I have a, a short or a feature in a festival, you can find information there. I, I voice, uh, a character on Netflix, Netflix's reboot of Entrapta. I mean, sorry, of, of She-Ra. She-Ra. Mm-hmm. She-Ra and the Princess of Power. I play Entrapta on that show. And so I've posted some things about that, but just Instagram. I'm not on Facebook and I don't have a website, but I do have dogs and you can see them on my Instagram account. Perfect. And are you on Twitter at all? And why Tricky Bear, by the way? Um, you know what? Tricky Bear just was a nickname from college that was kind of piggybacking on Chrissy Bear. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of <laughs> morphed into something else. Um, I, uh, what was the question prior to that? Uh, are you on Twitter at all? Oh, so I, I'm on Twitter. I'm not very active on Twitter, but I do occasionally promote things for my theater company. And my uh, Twitter handle is uh, is Miss Woods. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I'm uh, really active with I Am Theater Company through Twitter. And, you know, just if, I, if we ever have a, a live show or a play, I will I'll definitely promote that. So um, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, people, you know what to do next. Get on the internet, get on Twitter, get on Instagram specifically and find Tricky Bear. Follow her and her wonderful page full of dogs and insights <laughs> and performances and definitely support her in all she does. She is a very good one. So uh, with that, I will bid you adieu. This has been a blast and I hope to see you very soon. And I hope we get to talk awesome. again really soon as well. Yes. Thank you so much. It was so great chatting. I appreciate it. All right. Anytime. Talk soon. Ciao. Okay. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. If you do that, the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on show me how to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.